So originally, Pastor Russ asked me to go through Genesis 40 this week and then 41 next week. And with VBS Sunday being next week, I was talking with Deb and with Cindy and said, you know what, it's VBS Sunday, should I just let you guys have the whole service? They said, no, there still needs to be a message. I was like, okay. And then they came up with the idea, why don't, Dave, why don't you just do 40 and 41 today and then do Spiritual Warfare Ephesians 6 to wrap up the VBS theme next week. And I was like, I love how the Holy Spirit works. I'm like, that's a cool audible. So that's what we're doing today. We're going to cram a whole lot in today in, ver- in chapters 40 and 41. And the two verses kind of go together. So this is Dream On in our Joseph series, the missionary to the cupbearer, the baker, Pharaoh, and to the multitudes. So over these last two months of June and then this month of July, we've been going through a lot of the area of suffering and trials through the life of Job and now through Joseph. And some people are like, man, there's a whole lot of suffering being talked about. Well, yeah, there's a whole lot of suffering in the world. There's a whole lot of suffering for believers because that's what Jesus promises us. He says, the road will not be easy when you follow me. But there's joy in the journey with me, Jesus says. And he promises to carry us through all the way. Because what did Jesus say? All that the Father has given me, I will not lose one. Praise God. So over these last two months, the grace of God and the the men of God that have come and given this message from Job and from Joseph, we've been able to see from God's holy word how the Lord uses sufferings and trials to help refine us, to shape us, to accomplish his purposes, to grow and advance his kingdom. And there's a little disclaimer that the Lord had me put in here too. I mentioned this before, but it just needs to be said again. If your trials and your sufferings that you are experiencing are a result of your own sinful actions, you need to confess and repent immediately. That's just the disclaimer. Your situation will only get worse. And we see that in Scripture. We see that in King Saul. (laughs) So again, if your trials and your sufferings that you are currently going through are a result of your sinful actions, the Holy Spirit in you, dear fellow brother and sister in Christ, is convicting you and is leading you to confess and repent. It's hard to do. The shame, the guilt, the accusations, I know it. And we run away from that instant freedom that we get when we do so because that is the restoration from the Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't just leave us there. There's restoration. So with that disclaimer aside, here we go. So when we read scripture, we're looking at Job, we're looking at the life of Joseph here. And we see that the Lord used them in ways that they never could have even imagined. So what does that look like to us? When we're going through trials, when we're going through sufferings, we can't see, thank goodness we can't see, what lies beyond the fog that we're in right now. Well, what the Lord revealed to me is what the sufferings and trials look like. It makes us missionaries. 
The moment we receive Jesus as Savior, we have a mission field. Those of you right here in this building that don't know Jesus as Savior, you are our mission field. Our hope and our prayer is that you will place your saving faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone so that you can receive freedom. That is our hope, that is our prayer. And then once you do that and the Lord opens your eyes, Holy Spirit opens your eyes for your need for him, and you become a child of God, you join that mission team. So we are all missionaries. And there's some in this room that have gone overseas to Africa. There's some in this room that have gone to Guatemala and various places throughout the world. But for the majority of us, our mission field is right here in our own house, in our own backyard, in our own community, in our own little region here. This all has to do with the last words that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven. Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, Jesus says, you're on your own and good luck. Oh, I'm sorry, that's the non-message version. No, no, no. Jesus says this, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that end of the age, it's either the end of your life or it's truly the end of the age. And either way, when you're going to be face to face with the Lord. And again, being in missions, it doesn't always mean going to another country. It doesn't always mean going to another state. Again, the biggest mission field is right here in your home, in your community, wherever you've been planted, so to speak. We have a missions event happening this week. We just saw the, the missionaries here on stage, BBS. And the cool thing about being a missionary here is no language barrier. <laughs> you know the mission field well. It's a win-win. Historically, the United States has been the number one sender of missionaries in the world. That is no longer true, and it hasn't been true for well over 20 years. And in the 80s and the 90s, we'd have missionaries come and to Africa, to Indonesia, to the Orient, to South America, to France. And the, the big joke back then was, oh, Lord, don't send me to Africa. We were in a church. Janet and I were in a church back in 2009. Our kids were in Awana there. And they had an African national come, and he was a missionary to the United States. And there is more missionaries being sent from Africa to the United States than vice versa. And you know, what the, you know what the joke in Africa was? Lord, don't send me to the United States. I kid you not. Maya, the tables have turned. So what does this have to do, this next verse, Acts 2, verse 17, when Peter is speaking, he's given this amazing Holy Spirit-inspired message. 
What do these words have to do with today? And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. What does that have to do with anything that we're going to be talking today? Because simply this, the Old and the New Testament are replete with dreams and visions that God gave his people, and even sometimes not his people, to show them what was coming down the pike, what event was coming that he was going to have happen for his honor, for his glory, and to accomplish his purpose. Two things came to mind when, this, when, this, when I saw this verse. One of them was this, and stay with me here. You all stayed with me with the suffer and succotash thing, and I thank you, you are so gracious. So thank you for that. But it brought to mind a Simpsons episode where Homer Simpson's dreaming and he invents this gadget that fits in your pocket and it has dozens and dozens and dozens of these amazing uses that people are like, oh my goodness, we have, we, we have waited for this for decades. And he's like, let me see, let me see. And they're like, oh no, you're the inventor. You don't need to see this. They wouldn't let him see what it is, what it does, or how it was made. And he wakes up just completely depressed because that could have made him a multimillionaire. <laughs> well, I had a dream. <laughs> and I woke up and I told Janet, this, this is when we were living in Schaumburg, Illinois. <laughs> Let me start with this. How many in here have sneezed? I think in everyone, there, there is a purpose to this, so fasten your seatbelts, hang on for the ride. You know when you sneeze, the moment right after you sneeze, you feel great for like a second or two. It's like nothing hurts, everything's clear. It's like, it's like everything's like, ah, for like a second and a half. And then after that, you go right back to how you felt. Well, I had a dream that I invented a supplement, this vitamin, that made you feel the way you feel right after you sneeze, but all day. And I woke up, and I'm like, I don't even know what it looked like. What were the ingredients? Lord, this is something that I and everyone plus their grandmother could use. And you kept this from me. So then it got me down the thing of sneezing. I'm, I'm like, okay, so why do people say, God bless you after you sneeze? And I just had to follow this vein for a little bit. The act of blessing a person after they sneeze is subsequent to a sneeze is meant as a safeguard against the devil's evil influences returning. However, if this, now, so if you sneeze, that's like evil influence from the enemy exiting your body. And according to what I saw on Google, when someone says, God bless you, you should not thank them. I was like, why not? Well, here's why. If the sneezer should thank the blesser for the blessing, it was thought to invite the devil and all his evil influences to re-enter the body. How ridiculous. So feel free as brothers and sisters in Christ. You have freedom in Christ to say thank you when someone says God bless you after you sneeze. The devil will not return in through the way that he supposedly exited. 
Anyway, these two dreams, Homer's dream and my dream, just please be comforted that this is not what Luke was referring to in Acts 2.17. And what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13.8, he says this, love never fails. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Now, I'm including these two things in here for a reason, because we just read in Acts 2.17 about how in the last days, God declares, I'll pour out my spirit in all flesh, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Now, there's this thing called the cessationist view. And the cessationist view is simply this. They believe because of this passage here in 1 Corinthians 13, that miraculous gifts like prophecy, healing, tongues, interpretation, and miracles, they were given to authenticate the apostles and their writings in the early years of the church. But they believe that those gifts, all of these gifts, have ceased or stopped once the entire New Testament was written and the apostles died. It's called the cessationist view. I don't subscribe to that. Acts 2.17 being one of those things. And again, and a little bit further, I hold the non-cessationist view. My belief is you cannot confine God to a box. God is not limited in any way, shape, or form. I believe that these miraculous gifts will cease or will stop once the believer is face-to-face with Jesus because we don't need those anymore. Once you're face-to-face with your creator... There's no need for prayer. Like the song, Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. There will be no need for prayer. We won't be praying anymore once we're with the Lord. So, wow, yeah, that's, that's true. That's, how cool is that? We don't need to... I mean, prayer is a miraculous gift. Thank you, Lord, for prayer. It changes hearts. It changes people because God uses his prayers when we pray in the name of Jesus, and say, not our will, but your will be done. And also why I hold this non-cessationist view is there are many verified reports of unbelievers, and namely Muslims, those of the Muslim faith, coming to faith in Jesus because they had a vision of Jesus. And I, for one, am not going to tarnish or not going to discredit the testimony of God. That's putting myself in God's place, and how dare I? I just say, praise the Lord. And those that are in demonic, false religions, such as Islam and the Muslim faith, They need a miraculous way out, don't they? And Jesus is in the miracle business. In the last days, Acts said, Acts 2.17, Luke writes, "The, the rapture, Jesus calling us home, is imminent. Imminent meaning any minute. That's on our bylaws, that's our statement of faith, the doctrine of imminency. Praise God. It could be today. Are we ready? This is why Pastor Russ, myself, 
everyone here at Faith that knows Jesus as Savior. This is why we say, if you don't know Jesus, today is the day for you to put your faith and trust in Jesus because you don't know what the next five minutes or what tomorrow holds. So, getting back to our regularly scheduled message here, all of us have dreams, have had dreams, we all have ambitions, we have goals. Some are God-given, some are just from ourselves, not meaning that they're good or bad, that's something that we can sort out with the Lord, and some are given from the enemy. We need to be able to decipher and ask for discernment where our dreams, our ambitions, our goals are coming from, our thoughts. And isn't it amazing? God's word has the answer. Go figure. Shocker. 1 John 4.1 Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So there it is, right from the Lord himself, test every spirit. Now, to get into our chapters today, Genesis 40. Long intro, thanks for hanging with me. Genesis 40, verses 8 through 19. It reads this. Now, this is Joseph in prison. He's sitting there with the the cupbearer and with the baker. The cupbearer and the baker, they say to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them, please tell these dreams to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me. And on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth and clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, and I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup right back in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. Then you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. And then here's Joseph's little add on here. Only remember me when it is well with you and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Now pause there for a second at the end of verse 15. Joseph is falsely imprisoned. But God's favor is still resting on him, as we learned from chapter 39 and from Eric Howard last week. And God blessed him when he was in prison. In verse 23 of chapter, 20, or chapter 39 says this, The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. You look at that, it's kind of like, isn't it the fox guarding the hen house? (laughs) You're having a prisoner oversee what the keeper of the prison is supposed to be doing. Only God can do that. God ordained these things to happen to Joseph for a purpose. 
and we see this cup baker, and then we see uh, the cupbearer, and then we see this chief baker. So now go back to verse 16, chapter 40. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he's thinking, aha, uh-huh, he got his job back. Now well, let's see what happens to me. He said to Joseph, uh, <clears throat> I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating it out of the basket of my head. Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. Oh, and the birds will eat the flesh off you too. Can you imagine? You just saw this fellow prisoner of yours basically in three days from now you're going to be back in your old position. You're going to be restored. You see grace on one and you see death on the other. Joseph's dream and vision he always gives credit to God. We're going to see this in chapter 41 too, but he's very quick to say the Lord is the one that interprets dreams. He's always giving credit back to God. He's never taking it for himself. And looking at the life of Joseph, it kind of came, I think the Lord brought this to my mind, but basically it's like Joseph is the unaware missionary. He has no idea how God is using him to accomplish his purposes. God gives Joseph two different dreams as a young man. His brothers bowing down to him and his father and mother and brothers bowing down to him. Then you see dad Jacob trying to rein in his son's enthusiasm, rebuking him. It's like, uh, keep these on the down low. Your brothers aren't real happy with you, and your mom and I, we're going to bow down to you too. And then you see his brothers rising anger and jealousy at him. And you see this, and I'm sure Joseph is sitting there thinking, as he's sitting here in prison, Lord, why, why did you give me these dreams of family bowing down to me, my father, my mother, my brothers bowing down to me. And by the grace of God, we don't really see Joseph with an arrogant attitude here. Like, Lord, what do you have in store? What are you doing? Well, God never does anything out of a just because or, hmm, this tickles my fancy at the moment reasons. Whatever you are going through, ordained by the Lord, again, the disclaimer of it not happening to you because of any sinful actions that you have done on your part, but the sufferings and the trials that you are going through, it is a predetermined event that God has allowed into your life. That he predetermined before the foundations of the earth. 
So with that in mind, can you trust him? It's hard. We only, we really only trust in things that we can see, right? The stool's here, it's gonna, yep. I trust it's gonna not just collapse under me when I did that. We saw in Indiana Jones in the last crusade when he's walking through to find the cup that Jesus used at the Last Supper and all he sees is this huge chasm and he goes and he takes a step and he lands and all of a sudden he can see the path. Very obscure way of reining this back in to walking with Jesus. That's kind of like what it's like. You have to step out in faith. That's what a relationship with Jesus is. It is all about faith. And th Again, thank the Lord he doesn't show us the next five minutes, the next hour, the next year. It's moment by moment. If he showed us anything beyond this moment, most likely we'd be going out in our own strength and walking farther away from him. And then Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 the Lord brought to my mind. This is God speaking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So Christian brother, Christian sister, can you believe with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, no matter what, he can and will carry you through this life safely to the other side when he gets you face to face. This right here is known as the crisis of belief. And you will face millions of crisis of belief moments in your lifetime walking with Jesus. It's meant to be that way. Job went through it. As we see, Joseph went through it, and we're going through it too. So back to Genesis 40. Leading up to chapter 40, we see Joseph's various mission fields. He shares his dreams with his brothers, his folks. His brothers hate him for, for the favoritism that his dad showed, number one and also for the dreams that he shared. Chapter 37, we have Joseph, the missionary to his brothers. He's almost killed. The one brother stops it. No, 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 don't do that. Let's just throw him in this pit for a while. And under his breath, and I'm going to come back later, I'm going to take Joseph out and make this all back and better again. But unbeknownst to him, Joseph gets sold into slavery. So now you have Joseph, the, miss, the missionary to his captors. Chapter 37, verse 28. He's bought in a slave market by an Egyptian official. His future, unknown. Those slave markets, you could have been killed just because or just thrown into some unthinkable, horrible life for the rest of your life. 
but God is ordaining all these events. Joseph's been ripped away from the safety of his family, his father, his mother, everything he knew. I can just imagine this going through his head. Lord, what about these dreams that you gave me? Was that even you? Was that you? He's brought to Egypt. Now he's the missionary to Egypt. Chapter 37, verse 36. Then he gets a reprieve. The Lord's favor is now obviously resting on Joseph. He's made an overseer of his master's house. He's brought into Potiphar's house. Lord's favor is on him. What happens? Potiphar says, take care of everything. You're in charge of my family. You're in charge of my possessions. You're in charge of my field. Everything. I trust you. Let me go off and eat more grapes. And then, as we heard from Eric Howard last week, the devil's always throwing something in. Potiphar's wife, that pesky lady. <laughs> Joseph remains firm. He runs to his Lord. He runs away from the temptation. He runs right to Jesus. And what happens? Trials and sufferings again. Joseph, what have you won for faith in keeping God's commandments? Now you've won a prison sentence, indefinite. But there's a reprieve. He's not tortured. He's not beaten like many prisoners were. He's made the keeper of the prison's right-hand man. So now, Joseph is the first prison ministry missionary ever. <laughs> and I can only imagine Joseph sitting there just being, again, just over and over again, Lord, what are you doing? Where are you? What do you want from me? Lord, are you paying attention to what's been happening here? Are you? You know, is it like Lord of the Rings, the Eye of Soren? It's so focused on what's going over here, and I'm over here, and you're like, the Lord's like, well, no, hang on. I got you in a couple minutes here. There's stuff going on in Ukraine and Russia, and um, it's really taking a lot of my preoccupy, uh, preoccupying me right now. Okay, that's all right. Putin, okay. Oh, Joseph. Uh, okay, yeah, because that was in the future, but time means nothing to me. So, yeah, okay, so Joseph. Okay, now, now I'm back on you. That is not God. That is not God. His eye is never not on you. And my voice is raising to tell me. <laughs> I need to be reminded of that. You know the song, His Eye is on the Sparrow. So I know he watches over me. We don't see scripture saying that Joseph even asked these questions. But just a little bit of sanctified imagination, I can see that perhaps happening. But again, the scripture never shows Joseph complaining, doubting, questioning, wondering about the goodness of God. So let me just share this with you. It is okay 
dear brother, dear sister, to be discouraged. It's okay. We see that with David in Psalms when he was in trouble, when he was in distress. He is pouring out his heart to the Lord. The thing is, don't stay there. Don't stay in that place. If you want a glaring example of someone who stayed in that space, look at King David. Nathan brought the question from God himself and brought the judgment for David's sin. David confessed and he repented. The Lord forgave him. But David didn't allow the Lord to restore him. He stayed in this depression funk for the rest of his life. And if you want to see what that depression funk did to his household, look at it. Anytime there's a vacuum in leadership that the Lord has given, anytime that the man of God that the Lord has put to be leader in that situation isn't there, something is going to fill that vacuum. Look at the turmoil in his household. So don't stay there. The restoration from God is real. And it's there for you. Don't let the enemy keep you there. How many times has someone said, keep praying about the situation, keep praying about it? And yes, we must keep praying. And when the Lord answers that prayer, it is time to move in faith. When the Lord has spoken to you, and however he speaks, his word, his spirit, his people, move forward in faith at that time. That's the obedience call here. And I love this. God is waiting. J.D. Farag, pastor out of Hawaii, said this next thing. I want to give him credit because I love it. When you are in this kind of trial and suffering situation, when things look impossible, God is waiting for you to say, this looks impossible. Then God will say, good. Now watch this. That's where he wants us, at the point where we're just like, I'm done, I'm tapped out, I got nothing, I can't do anything else, Lord, this is impossible. He's like, good, now watch this. That's where he wants us. God will allow us and will strip us completely of everything that we have. Any trust in anything else except him. And it brought to mind the scriptures, some put their faith and their trust in horses and chariots. I put my trust in the Lord my God. Trusting in anything else is foolishness. So back to Joseph. He's got a reprieve right now. He's basically kind of overseeing all the prisoners. Life is pretty good for him. But he's still in prison. So now into chapter 40. Joseph and the cupbearer in the baker's dreams. Here's the cupbearer's dream again. 
Basically, he had a dream that these grapes grew, put the grapes into the cup, put the cup back into the Pharaoh's hand. Pleasant dream. Pretty good. Something that you wake up from like, huh, okay, well, I had a dream that I was back assisting Pharaoh. That's pretty good, right? The baker's dream, three baskets on his head. Does that make him a basket case? In my world, yes. The birds are eating out of it. Anytime you see birds swarming down in that, that's not a very pleasant thought. They even made a horror movie about it, Alfred Hitchcock called The Birds. Having that kind of dream, you wake up, you'd be kind of heart going. This has got to mean something good, right? Not with a picture like that. So the cupbearer, the dreams are fulfilled. The cupbearer, he's restored to his former position. The baker is hung and he's killed. So I guess he'll never be the head baker. All right, couple, thank you. <laughs> but what happens? Joseph's simple request to the cupbearer, remember me to Pharaoh, please remember me. I helped you out, right? God, through me, helped you out. Remember me. Cupbearer goes on and two years go by. Two years, nothing. Then all of a sudden, God moves. Pharaoh has a dream. So now Joseph's the missionary to Pharaoh himself. And one thing that we're going to see here is God's timing is always perfect. Can you guys say that with me? God's timing is always perfect. One more time. God's timing is always perfect. Thank you, because I need that reminder. Two years have passed. The cupbearer is restored. The baker was killed. Joseph's still in a decent place. All of a sudden, an event happens to Pharaoh himself. He has two dreams. And it freaks out Pharaoh. And we see what the dreams are. And yeah, it's kind of a freak out kind of dream. You wake up, maybe in a slight sweat. You're like, I just saw seven ugly, really thin cows eat seven healthy, plump, awesome looking cows. And then I saw seven weak, scorched, withered heads of grain eat seven plump, really healthy looking heads of grain. What is going on? And he's asking, all the king's musicians, or all Pharaoh's magicians, all king's sorcerers couldn't bring Pharaoh's dreams to make sense to him again. Let's bring in Joseph Humpty Dumpty. He's coming to save the day. All of a sudden, God uses what's happening with Pharaoh to say, wait a second, there's this guy that helped me out two years ago. Sorry. But hey, maybe he can do this for you. So God brings Joseph to the cupbearer's mind at just the right time. And that made me just kind of think, what would have happened if the cupbearer had mentioned that to Pharaoh right after he had been restored to his position? Oh, Pharaoh, by the way, the reason I'm here is because this Hebrew slave that is in kind of in charge of the prisoners interpreted the dream because his God gave him the dream interpretation to help me get where I'm at right now back with you. And can you help get him out? 
I could see the Pharaoh like, well, obviously he's in prison for a reason, so, uh, and he's not really suffering. Whatever. Okay, thanks for letting me know. Next. I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But one thing we see here is when there is an item of urgency, of supreme importance for a leader in power, and it vexes them, and it bothers them, all of a sudden, a resolution becomes very necessary, becomes very urgent. And things change. And lo and behold, there is an issue in our country in the early 2000s. Some of you know about the whole Lyme disease thing. Many people have it, and there's a thing of chronic. Many doctors in this country have lost their licenses, have had their licenses taken away for treating chronic Lyme. So let's go back to the early 2000s. The Kentucky governor at the time got diagnosed with Lyme disease, and it was affecting him physically. Lo and behold, there were no Lyme doctors in Kentucky because they forced them all out of business by taking their licenses away. So where'd he go? His neighboring state, Tennessee. He got health. He got help. His health got restored. Then he got back and said, hmm, I had to go out of state for this. Now because this was important to me, let's make sure that this doesn't happen to the fine people of Kentucky. We're not going to go after these doctors anymore. Thank you very little. Why were they targeted in the first place? Kind of see a correlation here? I did. If you want to see more on this, it's in a documentary called Under Our Skin. So now the Lord brings Joseph to the cupbearer's mind. At just the right time. And Pharaoh says, wait a second, there's someone that can make sense of this? Bring it to me at once. Joseph is cleaned up, brought right to Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh says, so you're the guy that can interpret dreams. And what does Joseph do? Yep, that's me. <coughs> yep, I'm the guy. No, he does not. He points right to God again. Only God can interpret dreams. He'll let me know what that interpretation is for you, Pharaoh. So he does. And again, we know what the, we saw what the dreams were. Seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And they were two years into the seven years of plenty. So there's only five years left. And the Lord gives Pharaoh special revelation to receive God's knowledge that he's giving to Joseph that Joseph is now relaying to Pharaoh. And he says, make this guy my number two guy. I'm giving you my signet ring. I'm giving you everything. You are in control of everything. Only I. I'm above you now, Joseph. So now we see Joseph, missionary to all the earth. And that's in chapter 41, verse 57, which says this. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain, because the, severe, because the famine was severe over all the earth. 
So as we're closing here, Christian, as a missionary for Jesus, how are you representing him? What does your face say when you're going through trials, when you're going through sufferings? What does your body language say? Paul said, consider it pure joy. That guy knew trials. He knew suffering. And Jesus said, I am going to make my new guy suffer for my name's sake. And Paul counted it joy. Because this life is not it. If you don't experience any sufferings, any trials in this life, and all you have is everything you ever wanted, why would you want heaven? We need these things. Otherwise, we start out growing out of our own heads. And we believe that we're the ones that shape and ordain our next steps in our lives. And then we take our eyes and our trust and our hearts off and out away from our creator. And we put it on ourselves and in other things. And all of a sudden, when some kind of calamity happens, we fall apart because where's our foundation? How we respond to sufferings and trials in our lives that the Lord allows and ordains is all part of our witness to what we think and believe and tell others about Jesus and our relationship with him. There's too many grumpy Christians out there. I used to be one. Sometimes I'm still one. Ask my wife, ask my girls. It's not happiness all the time to live in the house with Dave. Thank God for their grace and their forgiveness to me. And more importantly, the Lord's. Unbeliever, what you do with Jesus, with his love for you, his death on the cross in your place, his defeat of sin, death, Satan, and hell, that is everything for you. It is a difference between eternity and hell, receiving his wrath for eternity, or eternity in heaven and in his kingdom with him as a child of God and having Jesus as your older brother. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says this. Thank you for your graciousness today. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior today, in the overflow or watching online, today is the day for your salvation. Today. Just A, acknowledge, admit that you're a sinner, confess and repent. B, believe that Jesus died for you and that he rose again from the dead. And then C, Call upon the name of the Lord. Romans 10, 9, 10, and 13 says this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you said a prayer when you were a kid, the prayer doesn't save you. Please know that. Saying a prayer does not save you. It's the words do you believe 
Too many people think that they say a prayer and then they get their get out of hell free card and they got their fire insurance and then they go live however they want. That is not a transferred, I'm sorry, that is not a transformed heart. A transformed heart is like, I have been saved from more than I can even comprehend right now. Jesus, my heart, my life are yours. My soul is yours. Yeah, Jesus, I know I'm going to sin. I'm going to mess up. And when I do, when we, if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Instant restoration. Our sins removed from us, as far as the east is from the west, never brought to mind again. God doesn't forget our sins. He removes them from us as though they never happened. That's our prayer. That's my prayer for you this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for, <clears throat> again, just for the gift of your word. I thank you for your servant Joseph, for your servant Job, for your servant David, for your servant Paul, for the disciples, for the apostles. Thank you for the gift of your spirit that now resides in us who have Jesus as Savior. To your Heavenly Father, I pray that if someone here does not know Jesus, I pray that they do now. I pray that they will not leave here today until they have made sure that their soul is secure in your hand, Jesus, because you said, all the Father has given me, I will not lose one. Humbly ask for your blessing as we close the service, glorifying and praising and honoring you, Jesus. I pray this made sense today, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.